Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify. No matter where you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you all the same. Don't be bashful. Get on that Apple Podcasts app. Leave a little rating review. Tell us what you want to hear more of. Hopefully, it's basketball, because joining me today, my guy, John Lucas Duffy. What's good, brother? Petey, what up, bro? I don't know if anyone can see this, but... Alec, take some fucking notes. When you're going to work, you stand up. You don't lay down on a couch like a goddamn <laughs> savage. Uh, that video is only sent to a few friends via Snapchat, so you just put Alec on blast for the whole world, but that's one of my favorite pastimes is putting Alec on blast. Uh, so I'm here for it. And, yeah, he lays down, then he gets up, and then he's laying down again. I'm like, bro, give me a headache over here watching you in the Zoom call, the Discord call, <laughs> if you will. But uh, not John Lucas Duffy. He's standing. Are you standing right now? Standing at attention. Standing, standing. I'm too excited. I'm too ready. Standing desk life. That's some ergonomic action over there by you. I'm sitting like a bum, but I got an ergonomic mouse, so count it, baby. We're out here. <laughs> we're out here uh, treating our bodies right, living our best lives in quarantine. Uh, but yeah, John Lucas Duffy, NBA outsider himself. Uh, we're we're only a two man show tonight. Fantastic throwback to the OG hood of. You know, Sports Blog New York podcast, now Subway Sports Talk, fantastic stuff. We're here to talk hoops, as we do. There was a time where, you know, way back when, when this is like only on SoundCloud, not even on anything else, where we talked all the sports. And when you talked all the sports, I'm saying, do you feel like we're misusing your services, pigeonholing you as a basketball guy now? No, I feel like you'd be <laughs> wasting pretty much everyone's time if you made me talk about other sports, except for my amazing quarterback theory that now might be going down the drain about uh, how no good quarterbacks ever come from like power college schools. Well, I mean, Trevor Lawrence might have something to say about that, but he's not in the league yet. If you also, yeah, right. And if you also say Clemson at the time of your take, wasn't a true powerhouse like they are right now. And they certainly didn't have any quarterbacks that were in the league who were really balling out. Like Deshaun was there, but not, he wasn't who he is now yet. Right. And who he is now is a guy who wants the hell out. And we'll see what happens with that. Because Houston is having trouble retaining stars <laughs> at the moment in time. Uh, but I can guarantee you this. We will not be talking Houston Rockets on today's episode of Subway Sports Talk. It's just not something that's going to... for the rest of the season. Yeah, perhaps unless they make a trade, <laughs> they'll be on the back end talk of a trade for Oladipo. You know, the Oladipo thing could get brought up with the Knicks, but I'm just not ready to have that conversation yet because... It's the type of thing that I'll see it when I believe it. With the Knicks in particular, you have to be extra careful uh, with rumors and reports and whatnot. My general rule of thumb, if it's not coming from one of the big national guys, Woj, Shams, you know, Zach Lowe or Chris Hayes, if it's not coming from one of those guys or Ian Begley, I don't care. That's how I look at Knicks news from my perspective, it's not Ian Begley or a really re- um, renowned national reporter. Just miss me with that information. You know, Mark Berman, BOTP, Berman of the Post. I, I don't care about your columns or your rumors or your whatnots. I just don't. Can you, can you cur, con- concur to you, Duff? 
That's fair. I, I only uh, get my Knicks news from Frank Villani, so I can <laughs> I I feel you on that. Oh, shout out to Frank. Uh, not here for the episode tonight. Shout out to Kyle. Shout out to Andrew Duffy. Uh, but let's talk Knicks for a second. But we're gonna use the Knicks to get into our big portion, our big uh, segment of the podcast today, because we're coming up on the All Star break. We're coming up on the trade deadline, and it's very quickly becoming make or break time in the NBA. We're looking at standings in both the Eastern and Western Conference that in the East you have from 4 to 10 or 11, you know, three or four games separating everybody. Just from 4 to 8, it's like a game and a half or two games separating everybody. So incredibly tight in the East. The West is the same. You got four teams, uh, the Jazz, both LAs, and the Suns with a nice little lead at the top four. But then you're talking five through ten again, you know, two two games max, you know, separating all these teams. So it's make or break time now, maybe sooner than ever. And in a season where there's COVID, there's obviously injuries as per usual. Now there's going to be trades and there was no training camp. Teams are starting to get to know each other. You're running out of time to figure it out. A team that will not come up greatly, but will be a small point of discussion. For example, the Wizards we all expected would be pretty good this year, at least pretty exciting. They were trash. Now they're looking like they're putting it together. It's not over for them yet, but it's very quickly becoming make or break time for many teams across the league, Duff. So let's talk about this. Wizards won seven of their last 10. Seven, exactly. Seven of the last 10. They're still 13 and 19 as we record Monday night. But they're only three and a half games away from the Knicks, who are in fourth place. Like fourth, you said. Fourth, fourth place. It's even just hearing you say it out loud is insane. So that's where I want to start. We'll use the Knicks as a, a launch point for this entire podcast, for this upcoming segment. Duff, I've said my piece on the Knicks a, a bunch of times on this podcast, on Twitter as well. So I want to kind of give you the floor here, but I do want to give you this one piece of information or, you know, just thought-provoking item to to keep in mind. Knicks fans, hype level, tendencies to get high, okay? Just keep that in mind as you talk about the current state of the New York Knicks. Obviously, they're beating expectations, but what's real versus what's not? What's make or break for them coming up? I mean, th- since before the season started, I am not one to hop on the Knicks hype train that I think is just pure delusion. Delusions of grandeur from back in the old days. The way old days. I'm talking like 1970. <laughs> so, but I I said before the season started that the Knicks were going to, they were going to be a decent team. They were going to be watchable. I said, get ready, get ready, Knicks fans, to tune in every night on MSG, listen to Mike Breen, listen to Clyde the Glide, and just, just, just chill out and, and, Watch some Knicks. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be exciting. You're gonna have, you're gonna have a great time with your New York Knickerbockers this season. And sure enough, fourth, fourth in the Eastern Conference. Okay, the last time. Now I don't want to get anyone too excited. That's not why I'm here. But Pete, I felt the need to share this statistic with you. Okay. The last time the Knicks were had a record of 18 and 17. Do you know when that was? Like exactly or that good at least? That I mean the exact moment in time. Was it I mean, oh, I feel like I might have seen this today. Was it 2012, 2013? Was it during Linsanity or something like that? Linsanity was later in the year, no? It was in nineteen ninety nine 
when they went to the uh, NBA Finals. In another shortened year, nonetheless. Another weird shortened season. Hmm. How about that? Chew on that. So, just chew on that, Nick fans. I'm not <laughs> trying to, you know, I'm not trying to lead you astray or anything, but maybe just chew on that. I don't know what to do with the young talent on this team. I still don't trust Tibbs to do anything wise with them, but I love that RJ Barrett's just getting shots up to this point. Uh, I mean, he could even shoot more, like shoot more against the Pistons. He only took 13 shots, like, and only took three uh, free throw attempts. Like, just keep going, man. Just keep shooting. Let it rip. You know, he had 20 points on 21 points on 13 shots. That's outstanding efficiency. But I want to see him keep going. The one thing I didn't understand, I don't understand, and maybe you can help me out with this. Why, why is Austin Rivers not playing? I feel like that was someone that we were really excited to watch in the beginning of the season. What happened with that? Is that just like Derrick Rose is here now and he's just getting all his minutes? Yes and no. So he came in hot and when he, you know, he was injured in the very, very beginning. Then he came in, he started making some plays. He had that one like remarkable game where he carried the team and, and led them to victory. And then he had another remarkable first half, like 20-something points without missing a shot in the first half. And then he didn't come in until, like, the end of the third quarter. And, you know, it was kind of flat after that. Um, but he kind of started playing crappy after that, you know? And it's a little bit weird because Austin Rivers seems like the type of dude Tibbs would love. He grinds on defense. He, he more or less knows what to do with the ball, right? So in that regard... It doesn't make all the sense in the world, but now that Derrick Rose is here and he's playing as a facilitator, it makes a lot more sense. The one thing that is shocking, if you really want to get into it, is when Alfred Payton gets down, I know a lot of us were calling for Frank Nilakina, but if you had to put money on Tibbs, wouldn't you have bet that Austin Rivers was getting pulled back into the rotation? I'm not sure if it's a Blake Griffin situation where it's like, all right, we're going to trade you, let's just not play you now, but it's a little strange, but he did have some struggles and did not find consistent productivity, probably due to not pro- uh, consistent minutes, but that's kind of the story of River so far. Yeah, and Neil Aquina, I don't know why. Like, he's still, I mean, that's done. I was I was a guy who was pretty in on Frankie Smokes. <gasps> now I feel like it's over. I feel like it's over for Frankie Smokes. I mean, have you watched the, the past uh, three games? I... He can he can play well for defensive stretches, but like he is a guy like Ben Simmons, where it's just I feel like I've seen no growth offensively from him mm. I, I, since he came into the league. I tend to disagree, and I don't want to go into a Frankie Smokes thing. I do it enough in my head all day, every day, anyway. But his confidence <laughs> is really, really improving on the shooting and the attacking. He made a uh, a drive and and high off the glass lefty layup the other night that was incredible and he had he had a really really pretty three point jump shot that he made and you, you think of those two plays two plays you're like ah Frank's confidence is up it looks good blah, blah, blah. and you look at his stat line and he had seven points so you're just you know not you me actually more than you but me and Knicks fans in general who are rooting for Frank we probably see those three plays a game that he make and be like oh, look at that. He's got it. He's got it. Uh, so it's probably a bit of an overreaction, especially offensively. But I just see this kid making winning plays like the entire time he's on the floor. They're actually undefeated when he plays over 10 minutes a game this year. He's only played in six. And they've never, they haven't lost. Like if he plays over, I think, 13 or 14 minutes, they haven't lost a game yet. Now, granted, he's played in the last three games on a three game win streak. So is what it is. But hey, I think the kid has something to offer and the confidence is slowly and surely creeping up. 
And I don't see how you don't want this guy on the floor late in games to play defense, and he's a pretty good free-throw shooter as well. The same reason that Matisse Thibel can't play late in games with Ben Simmons is because they're both Yeah, but we don't have a Ben Simmons on our team. We don't have another guard who can't shoot. And Frank can kind of shoot a little bit, you know? I don't know. But not Well, he'll at least take the shot. He'll take the shot. And that's what what matters. But the reason we're talking about the Knicks, the reason we're talking about make or break, yes, this this is an important stretch of the season. It's it might seem weird. It's just a few days before the All Star break, which comes on. I think the last regular season games before the All Star break are on Thursday, correct? And then they come back on Wednesday, uh, so like a week from this Wednesday. Oh, what a sad week that's going to be. The Knicks have two games left before the All Star break. This is this a make or break period for them because. Those two games could change just entirely how we feel. As high as we are on the Knicks right now, as, as crazy as the, the riots that are going on outside of Madison Square Garden that we've been seeing on Instagram. <laughs> and by riots, I mean like a 12-man mosh pit around a hot dog vendor that was very uncomfortable. <laughs> that, could all, that could just be completely different three days from now if they, if they go 0-2 in this stretch and now they're 18-19 and 19, limping into the All-Star break. Pete, how would you feel if this team goes goes uh 0 and 2 in their next two and now they're 18 and 19. How would I feel? I would feel good, but that's because... as opposed to you would feel good. You still feel good. You still feel still like f- this house money. I would still feel good. Number 4 is not realistic. It's not attainable. It's not something that we should you have, you've attained it. You have it. It's 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 currently attained. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but yes, we are currently the 4 seed. But if we lose two games and the Heat, Celtics, Raptors and Hornets, you know, even split or win two out of three or whatever it may be. Some of them win two out of the next two. We could easily be in the eighth seed by the all-star break. And that changes the entire, you know, vibe, vibe check on the New York Knicks, right? Like You're looking at the standings today. You're like, oh my God, the Knicks are technically right behind the Bucks, Fourth best team in the East. Like, nope, I'm sorry. I'm still betting on the Heat. I'm still betting on the Raptors. I'm still betting on the Celtics. I, in the Celtics have been crap lately too, right? So, I look at the Hornets and the Pacers comparable to the Knicks. We could be in that realm. 7 to 10 is attainable and realistic to me. If we get higher than that and if we do this podcast in a month, and I've been wrong basically all season on the win total front for the Knicks, so maybe I'm the wrong guy to ask. But if we lose the next two and we're still, you know, the 7 or 8 seed or whatnot, I'm very happy because I am making sure to keep this all in perspective. Now, Knicks fans in general, Duff, I don't know. I feel like there could be a little sense of panic. I think they're a little bit smart enough to realize this is still a great success. But do you think this hyper expectation could get too good for its own good or too high for its own good here? Uh, No, I think that bridge was crossed uh, with Lynn sanity. I don't think (laughs) it could ever get too high for its own good more than it was in that moment. Um. But it sounded to me a little bit like you're almost rooting for them to lose. Like you're scared to get hurt. You're like, no, just lo- just keep losing so I don't have to hope. You don't want to be sitting here in early April thinking, oh my, God, the Knicks still at the four seed? Like, what? are we going to push? Are we going to push for a three seed? Are we going to go to the second round? We're one injury away from the conference, conference finals. How is this happening? Ah. It's 2-2 in the conference finals. We're two wins. We got to win two out of three games to make the NBA finals. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just watch your mouth over there, okay? Listen, this is, this is how I feel. We don't have, besides R.J. Barrett's recent, you know, hot shooting streak from three, he's been shooting above 40%, killing it from three, even though he's 36% 
within three feet on the whole season, right? That's not very good, but he's shooting very well. Three's more than two. We don't worry about that. That's a fair point. But if you run out a lineup where the best shooters on the floor are Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, and Derrick Rose to close out a game, my confidence can only get so high, Duff. And for as shitty as the Heat have been playing, and the, well, they've been coming around. The, the Heat and Raptors are coming around, I should add. But as crappy as they've played at points this season, as crappy as the Celtics play uh, the past like 15 games or so, there's no reason for me to believe the Knicks are actually better than any of those teams. There's no reason. And that's the only reason I'm trying to sit here with a little bit of caution and say like the fourth seed is not something I'm expecting to happen. I don't, obviously I want it to happen, bro. I want to be wrong on this every single day. I've been having this, I've been having this, I don't know. I've been having this inner duel (laughs) with Alec. Actually, I don't know. You're talking yourself out of it. This is, this is how it goes. I, I thought I was being a realistic Knicks fan slash podcast host right here on Subway Sports Talk all year leading up to the season, all throughout the first couple weeks, now through the first couple months of the of the season. I'm being realistic here. I am the realistic person, and you peasant fans out there on Twitter getting all excited are going to be hurt in the end. And that weird thing is making me, I'm not rooting for the Knicks to lose for one second of every game, but when the Knicks do lose, I get to tell Alec, like, dude, I told you you were getting too excited. So there, there so you is. You care about being right more than you care about the Knicks. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a win-win. That's a good fan, though. That's how you know you're a real diehard fan, though. It's a win-win for me. The Knicks win, I win. The Knicks lose, and I get to tell everybody oh, so an, that they were being head. fanboy, fanboy little whatnots on Twitter. You know, this is just an emotional hedge. All right, I respect that. Yeah, I respect that. All right, so I'm, hey, I'm I'm rooting for the Knicks this season. I I can't even lie. As as much shit I've talked in the past. It's just uh, it's it's just more fun when the Knicks are fun, you know. Yep. you can't. It's undeniable for any NBA fan. I'm sorry. Well, can I? All right. So let me just ask you this: as a basketball head, I'll call you right. You love basketball. You watch as much as anybody that I know. So let's talk about the Knicks. Just one thing on their roster front here: the defense has been so good, and their energy and effort is so consistent to this point that they're they're getting in games late. They're staying in games late. And, you know, they're coming out 7 out of 10 wins. So they're coming out on top, you know, more often than not lately. That's fantastic. That's very exciting. Can you actually buy into this closing lineup as, like, a real closing lineup? Can you actually look at this team and say, yeah, no, like, they should win games late? The Knicks, at the end of games, they don't have a guy, right? We always say, you got to have a guy. You got to have a guy. But you think about the... Heat in last year's playoffs, they did have Jimmy Butler, they did have Bam Adebayo, Bam Adebayo, Dragic, Hero, and Robinson. That kind of feels like a rich man's Knicks to me right now, mm. because they they no one of those guys was really just so much better than the other. Like Jimmy Butler is a really good player, but he's just kind of a guy who who goes through the game just making winning plays. The Knicks have a bunch of guys on their team. The way you love the way Frankie Nilakina played. Nelikina plays. The way Julius Randle tries his ass off, and, and all the young guys are super engaged with the Knicks, and Derrick Rose is kind of their freaking Sherpa leading them through the NBA season at this point. I, th- I think in the regular season that they can get by with these guys even late in games because of what you're talking about. They keep themselves in it. They keep themselves engaged. 
they just play so hard night in night out and that's just that is a telltale sign of a tips team you know so i got to give credit where credit's due with tibbs i don't think he's a guy who can win a championship but i think in the regular season it's it, it's gonna bear out playoffs okay. i don't see it but oh I, yeah I, i'm not even I getting see, that far i would ahead. not be surprised i would not be surprised at all if the knicks ended up with a with a six seed or better wow wouldn't be surprised yeah, and uh, in this season, the effort could go a long way. It has to this point. And, uh, you know, you do throw in the random quickly fourth quarter where he kind of goes off. Alec Burks can have a fourth quarter where he kind of goes off. Uh, so, yeah, the more I think about your analogy there, the heat thing sounds pretty good. But uh, let's move on from the Knicks. That's exciting. They play the Spurs Tuesday night. That's a great test. The Spurs, despite being, you know, the most quiet, the quietest team in the league, they're 17 and or 18 and 12 right now. They're still doing pretty damn good. DeMar DeRozan's having a season right now. Um, but let's move on to talk about some other teams, and we'll move it through the Eastern Conference first and then go on to the Western Conference. This is Subway Sports Talk. I'm Pete Kennedy with John Lucas Duffy. We're talking NBA as we do. So after the Knicks in order, we have the Heat, Celtics, Raptors, Hornets, Pacers, Bulls, and Hawks. And if you even went down a little bit lower, including the Wizards and the Magic, you can really, really argue all of these teams with the new play-in tournament-style playoff system are fighting for the playoffs. This is causing mayhem, chaos, very, very tight standings. You know, the game-back column is a lot different than it normally is. There's usually a couple big gaps. Right now, there's no big gaps. So we have, after the Knicks, Heat, Celtics, Raptors, Hornets, Pacers, Bulls, Hawks, we're going to focus on the Celtics and the Hornets just because we think they're most interesting. Um, but it is important to note that the Heat and Raptors have been flipping the tide here a little bit. Raptors have some COVID stuff going on. Kyle Lowry's been hurt. He might get traded, but that seems kind of unlikely. They're still a team it feels like you can trust. The Heat are getting healthy. They're a team it feels like you can trust. But that brings us to the Boston Celtics stuff. Shout out to my boy Glenn. We're talking Boston sports. The Celtics are having one of the most bizarre seasons right now. They have two All-Stars, for starters. Two All-Stars typically will lend to a good record. It doesn't right now for Boston. They're 17-17. and 17. We love Tatum and Brown individually. I'm not sure we're loving them as a team. So, talk to me why this is a make-or-break moment for the Celtics. Because they're banged up. They don't have a very well-built roster right now. And the panic is most definitely getting real up in Boston. Celtics have two games left before the All-Star break, one of which is against Clippers on Tuesday night, and the other is on Thursday night against the Raptors, which is obviously a big interconference uh, matchup. They are probably the single most under... I want to be careful here when I say this. I think right now they are probably the single most underachieving team in the NBA. Would you agree with that? Let me think. I think Just you compar- could... Comparatively to, to where you would expect them to be in the standings versus where they are. I think the only team equal would be the Nuggets. And the Nuggets are 18 and 15. Right. Better record, just as low in the standings or if not yeah. lower. But uh, they were Western Conference Finals, just like the Celtics were Eastern Conference Finals. They have a MVP-level star. They lost a couple key guys in Jeremy Grant and Miles Plumley. True. And we're going to talk about them. We're going to touch on them later. Yeah, but yeah. That's, Continue. Uh, that's an apt comparison. I, I appreciate that. There you go. I think a lot of this has to do with early season injuries. 
Kemba Walker. I don't know if he'll ever be the same. I think having this short break certainly didn't help him. I mean, he's a small guy. We've talked about it before. He is he is not six foot. He is not 180 pounds. Like I've seen him in person. He is he is a small person. You know, like and that made what you would see him do, it would make it more impressive. Yeah. You know? But you think of just the limitations of, of being a smaller person on a basketball court. It's just, it's a matter of fact. There's a reason why when you see somebody who's seven foot tall, you think they play basketball and you're just like, Oh, you must be great at basketball. You're a tall person. He is not that, but he's also not a shot creator. He's not a playmaker. He doesn't help others around him maximize their talents in the same way. Maybe a, like we're going to talk about a little later, Lamella Ball is someone who consistently is looking to sp- spread the rock, the rock around. When you watch the Hornets play, they really love to share the basketball. Even though they're a young team and young players tend to want to get their points, they understand that you know, kind of a rising tide lifts all all boats situation. And the Celtics, they're worried about they they're kind of they were kind of in that cycle that the Sixers don't seem to be in this year, but they were in like last year and the year prior, where it's like okay. We have two all-stars. This is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be, all right, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. And no one is helping each other. There is not a lot of movement when you watch a Celtics game. You know, Peyton Pritchard seems to be the only one who is a rookie, who is as small as Kemba, maybe even smaller, is the only one who seems to consistently be trying to get others open, which is a really devastating thing. Uh, for for a team that your backup rookie point guard is the mm. best playmaker on your team, and they're not like Jason Kidd or something like that. <laughs> so that's that's the biggest issue for me is that it's poor shot selection from Jason Tatum. It's still not enough Jalen Brown because the way he plays is just so much more efficient. It's just like a leaner game. It's a leaner shot selection. I'm going to shoot this catch and shoot open three. I'm going to take the ball all the way to the rim. I'm going to catch the ball in the post, do one move, do one move and then a counter move, and then I'm going to score. It's just so much cleaner the way he plays, whereas when Tatum catches the ball, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen, even though the you, game, you know. he can make the game look so easy So sometimes. It's just so very frustrating. I don't know. What, what do you see when you see this? Well, you kind of do know a lot of times what's going to happen with Jason Tatum. Sidestep, fadeaway three from the from the uh, you know right corner. He loves that. Step back to the left. You know He does a lot of those things. This is, he loves the sidestep threes. Yeah, the, the story for the Boston Celtics isn't extremely simple, but these two items can really help you understand why spectacular stats for two is not making spectacular stats for, for all, right? Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, for starters. Actually, you know what? Let me start with what Brian Scalabrini said, because if you listen to the low post with Brian Scalabrini, he said something which I don't know how to fact check, don't know if it's true, but Brian Scalabrini said it and Zach Lowe didn't refute it, so I'll, I'll say it's true. They're averaging three hockey assists a, a game. Did you hear that? Like, th- yeah, I, it might have even I don't know. been two. I'm sure teams teams track weird stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. But can you just think, like, by accident, you would get, like, four or five hockey assists a game? Just by accident. Just by happening to move the ball, you know, you might think get some hockey assists. stagnant assist. their offense is. Think, like, the ball sits with someone. It sits. It moves. They dribble. They catch. They hold. They wait for cutters. Cutters aren't ready to move. It's It's... Very stagnant. Exactly. So now here's the second item that kind of goes along with it a little bit. So with the lack of hockey assist and ball movement and not finding open shots, we have two all-stars in Jason Brown and uh, Jason Tatum. Sorry, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. 
who are not getting to the rim despite being freaking awesome at it. Duff, we have been on this podcast for literal years now, hammering home this point about Jason Tatum. Well, guess what? I'm saying it about Jalen Brown again, too. Can you believe, can you believe that this season has the lowest amount, if you take, you know, shots attempted by Jalen Brown, his percentage of shots is lowest ever within three feet from the basket. So between zero and three feet, he's only taking 19% of his shots. Last year, 27. The year before that, 31. The year before that, 35. His rookie year, 40%. Now, obviously, he's become a better jump shooter, so he's taking more jump shots. Makes sense to me, but he's taking more shots between 10 and 16, more shots between 16 and 3, and he's taking less threes. So somebody tell me where the anti-analytics person went into Boston and told Jalen Brown to do everything you're not supposed to do. That's first and foremost. Jason Tatum, the same exact story, Duff. 17% of his shots are within three feet, where last year he was 25%, year before that, 26%. And what's most frustrating about that number is not just that it's small. Jason Tatum, 65% field goal percentage within three feet. Jalen Brown, 73% field goal percentage within three feet. So these two guys are absolutely elite when they attack the rim. Elite, Duff, and they're just not doing it enough. The free throw, I have to get the free throw attempts for Jason Tatum. That's like Rudy Gobert shit. Like, what is going on there? You know what I'm saying? Like, Jason Tatum's, he's actually up to 4.9 free throw attempts per game. That's a career high for him. But if he wants to be really talked about... They're both at 4.9. I actually just looked that up. They're both at 4.9. If you're Jason Tatum and you want to be talked about like an MVP candidate, like I predicted he was a Dark Horse MVP candidate before this year, you have to get your free throws up to damn eight. You know, Trey Young's out here getting nine free throws a game. You're Jason Tatum. You're 6'9". You can shoot over everybody. You have a great dribble package. Get to the freaking rim and get to the line one time. Let's go. Let's get some easy buckets. You guys are good at this. Let's do it some more often. I'm getting up over here. Is this laziness? Is it bad coaching? Or is it two guys who so badly want to be stars that they're stuck in their bag instead of going for, you know, the easy play? I think it's a it's a combination of all three. I think someone needs to sit down and put, if they're not going to realize these things that you're talking about themselves, someone needs to point it out to them. I played... Uh, in high school, we used to play in in the off season. We used to play in the fall before the season started, pick up basketball. And the coaches used to play with us. We had two pretty young coaches that could definitely run with us. And it was a lot of fun. And they used to always stop this, this one guy, uh, J Mart shout out. Um, he used to one stop this one dude. And they used to ask him, he's like, do you, do you think you're a better shooter or a driver? And he would say, I think I'm a better driver. Like, like, yeah, so why aren't you doing that more? Mm. Like, the coaches just need to point it out and just present present that to him as an option. Just say, you think you're better at attacking the rim or just as a jump shooter? Like, you're an incredible athlete. You're six foot, you know, in, in these guys' cases, you're six foot nine. You're 200-some pounds. You have, like, a seven foot 12 wingspan. Like, what do you, <laughs> like, what, what do you think is going to happen when you go to the rim? You're just going to dunk on everybody or you're going to get the ball, like, six inches from the rim when you release it and then, boom, it's just, like... Wouldn't you rather shoot the ball from six inches than from 23 feet? And for some guys, that's not the case. Like, you you look at these two guys, that doesn't seem to be the case. And one thing I harped on when Luka Doncic was a rookie, right? He was only shooting, as a rookie, now, mind you, like, this is how nitpicky 
I was about him when he was a rookie. He was shooting six and a half free throws per game, and I was like, he needs to get that number up to like nine. Mm. In which case, he did last season. He's averaging like 29 points a game. Now this year, he's at eight. He's averaging 28 points a game. The easiest way to get more points for your team and to become a more efficient player overall is to just shoot free throws. Yeah. The free throw shooting, there's no argument against it. Hey, guess what? You just attacked the rim. You got fouled. Guess what you get to do? You get to take like a nice minute break, just shoot a couple free throws, get two points, you know, jog back on defense, get the ball, and now you're fresh. Now get you're the fresh defense for a defensive set too, baby. Because you were just standing there. Get the defense set. Too. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Like guys, guys like Ben Sim. For you, it's good for your team. It's good for your, your long-term uh, cardio for, for in, over the course of a game. Yeah. Ben, ben Simmons, by the way, more free throws per game than ta- uh, Tatum and Brown. And Brown, uh, Tatum's 87% from the free throw line. Brown's 78% from the free throw line. Jared Allen. Ben Simmons has no choice. He just has to go. That's true. Jared Allen averages five free throws a game. You know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have all these touches. Their usage, I, I didn't look at it, but I imagine they're both around 30 on a usage rate. You need to get them free throws up. The thing that, th- that is, they're kind of using this as a crutch is the jump shot as a crutch because uh, Jalen Brown is shooting 80, uh, 38.5% from three. You know, yeah. Jason Tatum shooting 37% from three. So, like, those are good numbers. You know, Jason, Jason Tatum seven attempts a game, Brown six attempts a game. Those are good numbers for your team, and that's why they're both averaging uh, career-high in points. Yeah. But it just doesn't – you're leaving – like, you're, they're both at 25 points a game. They could easily be at 30 a game if they just attack the rim more. Because guess what? One of those times you're going to get uh, a layup. One of those – let's say they attack the rim six more times a game. One of the times you're going to get a layup. Two of the times you're going to foul. And there you go. Like, even even if you miss, like, the other – like, let's call it four. You mm-hmm. Once a layup, twice fouled. Now you have like easy, let's say conservatively, four more points. So now you're averaging almost thirty points a game there because you drove the ball four more times a game. Exactly. Once a quarter. And and when you just when you attack a closeout, when you drive, so many things happen. The movement starts to happen naturally, right? Like the, it's the best thing you could do for a teammate just, is draw help. Exactly. It's it's crazy. And uh, there's a point. It's happening in Boston. You know, you hear Bill Simmons. You hear. You know, Zach Lowe was talking about it with Scalabrini, like the Brad Stevens stuff. You know, we've loved him. He was called the president. You know, how many players would you take before you take Brad Stevens? These were the things that you hear, right? Sometimes there's a coach who does better with less talent because he can mold them to exactly, exactly what he needs them to be. You got these stars. He It seems like he's letting them cook, let them do their thing, and it's not leading to team success right now. Uh, real quick, because we got to move on to our next team. What What has to happen other than the shot selection and ball movement Maybe is there a move that has to be made for the Celtics? Do you think this team's meddling, or does it have to just be internal change? I I just think the team needs to be totally re- revamped. Like I, I just don't think they're really close to being a legitimate contender at all. As good as Jalen and Jason are, if they really want to take that next step, they have to make. They can't just be better individually. They have to make each other better. They have to make their teammates better. They have to find a point guard who's going to make that happen. It's not Kemba Walker. It's not Jeff Teague. They need a big man who's going to defend the rim. That's not Daniel Tice, who commits so many fouls. It's not Robert Williams, who falls asleep on defense. It's not Tristan Thompson, who's slow-footed. It's just they their wings are great, and that's what everyone focuses on. But their their guard play and their big play is just not satisfactory at all Yeah, if you want to be a serious contender. And the insult to injury goes with Kyrie playing his ass off in Brooklyn. 
uh, Gordon Hayward, who we're about to talk to, playing very well in Charlotte. You know, who would have thought you miss... Marcus Smart's there still, but he's been hurt. You miss the playmaking so much of Marcus Smart and Gordon Hayward. Just keeping the ball movement, being in control, being confident enough to take the ball out of Tatum and Brown's hand and be like, yo, you're going to get it back. Like, don't worry. Well, Marcus Smart, you never really know what's going to happen, but you're going to get it back. We're going to keep this thing moving. We're going to attack. We're going to we're gonna do what we got to do. It's tough. I, I think they flipped the script on the regular season front, but I am strongly with you right now. There's probably at least five teams I'm taking over them if the playoffs started, uh, even in a seven-game series. So moving on to our next team. In between the Celtics, I should mention, and our next team, we do have... Uh, oh, no, I mentioned the Raptors before. We actually, next up, we have the Hornets. They have been one of the more pleasant surprises. I actually liken them to the Knicks a lot right now. You know, young rookie who is playing a bizarrely big role, right? People expected LaMelo uh, Ball to play a bigger role than, say, Emmanuel quickly has, but still, young guard making serious winning plays. Uh, and then a bunch of just ragtag guys who are busting their ass, can shoot the ball a little bit, find what they're good at, and continue to do so while playing really hard. They've been a really pleasant surprise, Duff. Can the Hornets make it, or are they about to break it? Because this has been a real cool story. The Lamella stuff is all roses right now. Is there a negative, or are you feeling this, the the Hornets hype a little bit here? So I am I'm feeling the Hornets hype for sure. I mean, to be honest with you, I was not watching a lot of Hornets games early, really early in the season. I have never thought Charlotte's been fun to watch. I never thought they were relevant. I only have so much time, so a lot of the seasons. I'll really just cut teams out that I don't think are going to be relevant. I'm not going to talk about, uh, or I'm not going to watch the Timberwolves. I'm not going to watch the Pistons. I'm not going to watch the Cavaliers. I got. I only have so much time, you know. And the and the Hornets were have been a team for a long time that I just have not not watched. But now I'm like I'm regretting that. I've watched a few of their games over the past couple of weeks, and it's been they're just fun. Like they're just fucking fun to watch. There's there's just no. There's no denying it. Like, LaMelo Ball is somebody I didn't want to root for. I was so annoyed by his brother not being as good as I thought he was going to be. I was so annoyed by LaVar. Everyone's talking about this kid. He seems like LaMelo. Seems like, not going to lie, an idiot. I still think he's not very... He doesn't seem like a very intelligent person. All the stupid things he does on the court sometimes. He gets the weirdest technical fouls. <laughs> but he is he is like a basketball savant. Like, that. he's like a basketball prodigy. That's mm -hmm. what I appreciate about him is... Not only does he make the flashy play or shoot the big shot, he'll really understand, like, against the Warriors. I was texting you guys about that first half. That was the most fun first half I had watched this season of any NBA game, I feel like. And the, the Hornets were just, the Hornets and the Warriors were both just, like, moving the ball around so much. It was just really enjoyable basketball to watch. But then you could feel kind of the the Warriors, like, make a couple big plays in a row, and LaMelo's like, all right, you know, we need a bucket. So then he just pulls up for a three, cashes it, and then, you know, the Warriors getting a couple buckets. Oubre keeps dunking the ball, dunk, dunk, dunk. He must have, like, five dunks in that first quarter. And then all of a sudden, LaMelo again, at the end of the quarter, hits another big three. Like, he just kind of feels the moment and is trying to help his teammates as much as possible and, and really just reading and reacting. That's the thing I think is so important. He does not have a set plan of what he's going to do. He has no idea. He's just like, I'm going to beat my man. And then, like, fuck it. Like, there's going to be a crazy layup. I'm going to dunk it. Or I'm going to dish it off to someone else that get a wide open shot. And that's what he does more often than not. Just read and react. I think that is just so 
that's so awesome for such for a young player. Like you, you think about quarterbacks in the NFL. Like let's let's tie it back here for you, Pete. Doing it just for you. Quarterbacks in the Love NFL, the young guys, they always they always seem to do better early in the games, right? Because they they have those scripted drives. But then when you get late in games and they have to make adjustments, they have to read a defense. That was the thing Mark Sanchez could never do, and that's why he's out of the league. He went from two back to back AFC Championship games being out of the league because he couldn't read and react. Lamelo Ball is like the opposite. Already, you just roll the ball out there. He's going to figure out how to find the best shot for himself or a teammate. And that's what I really find fun. Plus, Malik Monk, super athletic, super fun to watch. Either shoot from three, throwing down crazy dunks. Miles Bridges, your boy P.J. Washington. Cody Martin plays hard, even though it looks like sometimes he doesn't. He, he just started playing basketball the other week. Uh, I hate watching Bismack Biombo. <laughs> He's just an eyesore on a basketball court, and it's it's nice to watch Gordon Hayward play with like some more. Even even though like he's still not getting a ton of shots in, in the games that I've seen, at least he he's been playing with more freedom, and that's kind of just been really enjoyable to watch compared to his snake bit time in Boston. I think just because it's the last thing you said, it's the first thing on my mind. the The problem with Gordon Hayward when it comes to a fan perspective. People forget what he actually was in Utah, you know, because people didn't watch the Jazz. Now, you're talking to a Jazz guy over here. I'm not talking about this new first-place Jazz. You're talking to a guy watching the Jazz when they're ninth in the Western Conference with a winning record, not making the playoffs by one game Jazz or something like that, right? Gordon Hayward was never a guy you just give the ball at the top of the key and say, yeah, just run pick and rolls until you get 25 and 6, right? Like, that's just not who he was. He was very much a ball movement guy. Get it, you know, on a curl, attack, a closeout, you know, move the ball, get it back, things like that. And that works so well with LaMelo Ball, and that's also why the Celtics miss him so much, right? So the one guy you didn't mention, I don't think you mentioned, is Terry Rozier, who has been, like, the all-time, like, heat check guy this year. He's hit big shot after big shot. He is shooting 44% from three on seven-and-a-half temp stuff. This team's good. This team's fun. Defense is the obvious issue here, but on the LaMelo Ball front, he is putting together what I think you and I hoped from Lonzo Ball. Does that make sense? Like, Lonzo's yep, actually been getting there. His confidence with his jump shot is is good, is or is getting better. His ball movement is still awesome. He makes passes that 95% of the league can't make. LaMelo's already doing that 30 games into the season. Like, that's how good it's been. He's 15, 6, and 6. If he's on any sort of positive trajectory, which it seems like he is, he is projecting to be a 19-8-8 guy, a 21-8-8 guy in like two or three years, and that's absolutely insane that they're competing at this level, uh, and I am so impressed. Like you said, seems like a, I don't want to say dumb, it feels mean, but seems like not the smartest person off the court. His basketball IQ is next level, and exactly what he does is what we were just criticizing the Celtics. Give it up. If you move after you give it up, if you want a pick and roll, pass and keep moving, you might get it back, and you might get it back in a better spot than you were before. He gets it, this team gets it, and the shouts to James Borrego as well. This team's awfully fun. Yeah, and if you think we're being too mean about LaMelo Ball's intelligence or lack thereof, just Google LaMelo Ball like geography quiz or something. Philadelphia. Trying to f- what? Philadelphia. He Didn't he not oh, know? Oh, yeah, when they were in Philly during the, the Ball family he, show or whatever. He was like Pennsylvania's was in Philadelphia, and then he thought yeah. Michigan was in Detroit. You know what, though? Yeah. I, I don't know if I blame him. I blame the school system. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> or just like the maps, I guess he got the second hand maps. Yeah. No, I just only highlighted yeah, the big the, cities. You got the TJ Maxx version of maps. He just never <laughs> looked at a good map. But yo no, he, no shots to TJ Maxx. I like a good deal, so I know that. They, they really do. they they do at TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx Marshalls, same same crap, but no shade. No shade. We we're we're pro. We're pro TJ Maxx and Marshalls here. Um but yeah, dude, I love watching this team and I am really, really shocked that you didn't bring up their broadcast. Have you have you caught them on League Pass or only on their national spots? So typically, I watch them through work, like my work, and we almost exclusively, for whatever reason, when the Warriors play, we do the Warriors broadcast. So right. So I watch like the Warriors broadcast. I like the Kings broadcast, and I actually like the Phoenix broadcast. So I, it's it's like I didn't. I know Del Curry's on there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just happen to like know those broadcasts and like it. I'll give it a shot next time. Yeah, they're they're, they're play by play guy is real fun. He's real excited. Okay, good. I can't I can't say that like I know I've heard it before, but I can't say I'd like Oh good. It. Yeah, this team's good though. So you're you're saying make it. If you want they're f- gonna make it this team. I think they're gonna make it. Like if, if maybe not this year they won't make it, but next year, some to wear down the line, they're going to make it for real. Like that, they got the the makings of a, an actual basketball team here. And you know what's kind of nice for them because you see this a lot with with teams like uh, that that have a lot of young talent, and you're going to have to just like start paying them. You know, you got you got Devin Booker, you got Mikael Bridges, you got Cam Johnson, you got DeAndre Hayton, you got you know what are you going to how are you going to pay all those guys? Bill's going to get high. The guys in the Hornets are like kind of, they're like good, but they're like not that good. So you could potentially like keep them all together because you're not going to have to pay anyone really max money except for maybe one guy, except for maybe LaMelo when his contract's done. Right. Gordon Hayward getting max money. Terry Rozier, you know, everyone criticized that contract. It's not crazy. It's, you know, now it's, it's, it's not. It's up there, but it's, it's still pretty reasonable. Devontae Graham's numbers yeah, are down. He's not going to. percent from three is not something people were going to predict. Facts. Like seven attempts. Big facts. Devontae Graham. Uh, also numbers are down a little bit just because their usage is down. So he's not going to get a crazy contract. PJ Washington, Miles Bridges. Putting up eight threes a game. Shooting like 34 and a half percent, eight threes a game. His yeah. usage is right up there. <laughs> but it's not like it was last year. Last, no, without no. LaMelo uh, over there, it's not quite like that. But you, you, yeah. to your point though, those guys are all good role players who have the possibilities to grow bigger than that. PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, the same thing. So they're not going to ever demand 22 million a year. You can probably snag you these might guys get those guys on the cheap. Yeah, that's pretty pretty good stuff right there. All right, so we're both saying the Hornets are going to make it. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I actually have a nice little FanDuel wager on them, uh, plus like 500 to make the playoffs. So that's feeling kind of good. It's not does, that wait, high does anymore. Do the, the play-in stage count? No, you have to make the final eight. You have Ooh, to make the final eight. Okay, all right. I'm with it, though. Yeah. I think you got it. Makes it makes it tough, but I, I think they're there. And you look at those teams around them, which we're not going to talk about right now, but the Pacers, Bulls, and Hawks on the forefront, or on you know, not the forefront. What's the what's the opposite of the forefront? The rear, <laughs> the, up the rear. I don't know. Whatever the people back behind burn. them. Yeah, they're on the back burner. There you go. The Hawks just fired their coach. Not feeling confident about any of those teams at the moment. So I'm saying Hornets make it, baby. With that being said, let's see who we think will make it or break it in the Western Conference. The teams of note after the Jazz, two LA teams, and Suns, obviously being a tier above right now, you have the Spurs, surprisingly good, Blazers holding holding ground with just injury after injury, no CJ, no Nurkic, no Zach Collins, we know this. The Nuggets, the Warriors, the Mavericks, Grizzlies, and Pelicans right now, just on the outside looking in. 
the two teams we're going to hit on are the Nuggets and Mavericks. So let's start there, Duff. Jokic is an MVP candidate. Like, 100%. Without a doubt, he's been outrageously good. But this team has been underwhelming. There's a multitude of reasons. What can you pinpoint or what can you look at with this team as to to say why they're not as good from a win-loss uh, perspective this year? And do you think they'll make it or break it? From a win-loss perspective, I would say it's the losing uh, uh, Jeremy Grant and Miles Plumley. That's it. Like, that That really it has nothing to do with Jokic. Obviously, he's balling out. This is the best season ever, and this is a guy who's been an all-star like two, two years in a row before this. So now he's averaging almost 27 points a game. Like, a guy who was never really... You never thought of him as a scorer. He was always a distributor. He is averaging a career high in points, rebounds, and assists. So, and three-point percentage. Field goal attempts. Field goal percentage. Oh, not field goal percentage. Excuse me. But you see my point. Like, this is just far and away his best season. It's the only thing really keeping them afloat. Meanwhile, Jamal Murray is averaging a career high in points. And he's shooting 40% from three. But when you like when you watch him go by the eye test, and he's come on as of late, and hopefully that continues to trend up for them, because this is a team I think is going to make it. You know, they were in the West Conference Finals last year. I'm not gonna, you know, this guy was kind of never falling for me for this team. But when you talk from a regular season perspective, why their win loss isn't good is I feel they don't have the same depth. Jeremy Grant was a connector. I think my brother Andrew talks about th- these kind of guys. They're connectors. They they connect the superstars to the role guys, you know, you're somewhere in the middle. You're a guy who can get you 20 points on any given night. You're a guy who can get three blocks or three steals or 10 rebounds or five assists. It's just like, he, he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife player that they don't have. And you see him now in Detroit balling out. He wanted, you know, he's, he's making similar money to what Denver offered him, but he just wanted to prove that he was, he could be, you know, a really, really good player in this league. And he's done that. Was it worth it? I don't know. They have like 10 wins. So, you know, I guess he's going to have to look inward and figure that out. Nine wins, excuse me. But, you know. Yeah, don't, be, don't be handing out wins over here. <laughs> they, they lost. Backup big. A guy who used to play a bunch of minutes. Way better than Paul Millsap, who's terrible. And they're starting small forward. You know, Michael Porter Jr., you want to throw... You want to throw... You know, you want to invest in his future. I can get behind that. But that's going to cost you some time. Because before last season, he basically didn't play for two and a half years. Mm. And then all of a sudden, he starts playing basically in the bubble because he really wasn't playing last season during the regular season because he couldn't get any minutes. And now this is like really officially his second season. So you kind of just set yourself back by trading in old players for new. Yeah, and that all seems kind of fair. When you lay it out like that, it's kind of not a reason to worry, but not a reason to be excited in the very current moment. What's going to happen this week, right? They still have to figure out what's going to go down, who who their, their best five is. They knew who their best five was last year. This year, they're still kind of figuring it out. I'm trying to, is the guy's name Zeke Naji? Uh, have you seen, have you caught this guy yet? On Denver, he's a, a big wing. He's just making plays out there. He's a little bit raw, 
but been very solid. Like he's a guy who's brand new to this rotation yet. He's playing big minutes for them. So I'm with you. I'm not worried. I'm not throwing up the panic button on the Denver Nuggets front. It is just weird. And this is where the nuance comes into this season, right? I did a thing on Twitter the other day where I was talking about Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook um, and how their numbers are weirdly down uh, in February when the team has been playing a lot better. And that could be for a multitude of reasons. Maybe they were trying to do too much. They weren't getting their teammates involved properly. Davis Bertans went from shooting 33% to 40% on three. So there's all these other factors. For Nikola Jokic, you're saying, all right, I said it with you. I, I tweeted it as well. You know, career highs and all these things, win shares, true true shooting, as well as all the things you mentioned. Yet they're not doing that good. Is that a detriment to Nikola Jokic? I kind of think no because of the outstanding factors with this team. Gary Harris just not being who we wanted him to be. You know, being a zero. He's not even playing. Michael Porter Jr. is still having growing pains. So I think as far as make it or break it for the Denver Nuggets, they're a team that you can confidently say, as long as they stay afloat for now, they could make it later. Whereas a team like um, we're about to talk about with the Mavericks, maybe it's more like, yo, if you don't figure it out now, you're going to be really, really battling uphill the rest of this way to make even the play-in tournament. You know what I mean? So I, I'm, I think I'm with you. I'm not really hitting the panic button, but I'm just slightly concerned until they figure it out. I think they're going to kind of hit. They got three games between now and the break. I think they're going to do well in those games. Let's see. Let's see who's on the schedule. Just real quick. Just a little live schedule action for all the listeners. Um, tonight they got the Bulls. That feels like a win. Then they're playing in Milwaukee. That's going to be a tough game. And then they finish up uh, in Indiana. So they got three road games against the uh, Central Division. So see how it goes. I mean, yeah. it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's weird because it's an important stretch for them. Think about going twenty, being twenty-one and fifteen. Right, that's so much better than you know nineteen so and seventeen. Better. If they go one and two in the next couple games, the yeah. thing like this team is trending up. But then the thing that always messes with my head is when you talk about the Blazers, no CJ, no Nurk, no Collins for so long. They're they're a half a game ahead of the Nuggets, have, who have been essentially healthy. Am I think? Can I think of any? You think of any injuries they've had? Um, well, Gary Harris only played 19 games so far. Uh, mm-hmm. PJ Dozier is, I don't know if he's hurt or just out of the lineup. He's only played 18 games. Jamichael Green's playing hurt. 20 minutes a game for them right now and also been banged up. Um, Their roster is just in such a strange place. Will, Bar- Will Barton's been not typical Will Barton. You know, he was banged up in the bubble last year, so they didn't even have him. He was almost an afterthought coming back this year. But he expected to co- him to come back and be that secondary playmaker and give you 16 a night. He's only given you 11. So definitely some things to work out as far as who are their guys. You know, Faku Compazzo is playing crunch time minutes for them. Should he be in the game playing crunch time for them? I don't know. My guy's uh, only shooting uh, like six shots a game. So uh, I don't know. Definitely some rot- I think rotational the, stuff there. The coaching. Coaching is their biggest Achilles heel. We watched mm. them in the, in the playoffs like – even though they made it to the Western Conference Finals, I still don't... Malone's coaching decisions still don't make any sense to me. And when they all... You see the break. I forget what team it was against. They were going for, like, the tie or the win, and Jamal Murray's yep. dribbling down the court. Yeah. And then he stops at the three-point line where Michael Porter Jr. easily could have just cut in for a dunk. Compazzo, I understand why he stayed at the three-point line because he's five foot eight. And there was a guy but, ahead of him. 
Yeah. And there was a guy ahead of him, and that person could just dunk the shit out of the ball, but instead ran to the corner where Jamal Murray couldn't even reach him with a pass. That's like, that screams coaching to me. Clock, the situation, and they were just going automatically, here's where I run, even on a three-on-one break where no one's between me and the rim. I'm going to the corner. That's, to me, that's coaching. But we'll we're probably, they're trending up, so we're nitpicking probably, but it just they just don't feel the same. They don't feel as good as we kind of hope they would, I suppose. Yeah. And, right, and let's the, let's we, go to the Mavericks, absolutely. another team that's, feels like they're underachieving. Absolutely. I was just going to add um, all these teams that went deep in the bubble. As, as we've talked about in particular, a couple of them tonight, right? Mentioned the Heat and Raptors in, uh, in passing. They played deep in the bubble. The Celtics played deep in the bubble. The Nuggets played deep. Some of these teams are, are struggling. Maybe it's a juice factor. Do they have the energy that they need to? You know, the Lakers are seeming to hit a wall right now. They've been banged. Yeah, that could be a factor that we didn't really talk about here because it's really unquantifiable. I can sit here and say, yeah, you know, the Nuggets, uh, give them some slack because they played so deep in the bubble last year. One shot by Mike Conley, and they don't even have a chance to come back from 3-1 against the Clippers or play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. So we were real hype on them. Not sure we should give them all that confidence because they really were a bubble story in a way. In a way. I don't want to get too hard on them, but let's move on. Talk about the Dallas Mavericks. They they have been struggling. They've been hurt. Luka's numbers are still Luka's numbers. His three-point shooting went from being like what? Like 28% in the beginning of the year. He's up to 35% now uh, from three. So he's getting there. He's shooting a lot better lately. Porzingis is getting healthier, but there's still very much a lack of pop with this roster. So make it or break it time for the Dallas Mavericks. If they hit a rough patch they can easily be looking at a long shot to get into the play-in tournament. That's how tight the Western Conference is. It's really, really tough. The Pelicans are on their heels. The Grizzlies are a gritty team that will not go away. You're, you're a little bit of a, a, a Mavericks adopter, I'll say. You're, no, you're a Luka adopter like many of us were and are. So take the floor here. How disappointed are you right now that they're 16 and 16? Or are you going to find a silver lining that they're at least 16 and 16 with all the crap this roster has gone through? I think this was a this was just bad timing. Sometimes in life you just have bad timing. And I think that when the season started was bad timing for the Mavericks. You think about, you know, Luca blatantly saying he was just like, I thought we were gonna have more time, so I'm not in shape. And and that was certainly in the month of February, he is shooting. 43.5% from three on seven and 7.7 attempts a game. Did you ever, like, would you would you ever have thought of him as like a 40-plus percent shooter at any yeah. point? I've been watching these games. He's been on fire, and I felt like, it, like because I watched him, it felt like it was going to be high. I was like, man, I bet he's been shooting like 38% from three. 43.5 on seven and a half attempts a game? And they've played 12 games this month. It's not like, it, it ain't nothing, you know? Um, they're 8-4 and four this month, or last month in February, I guess, March now. But Oh, yeah, look at that. Friggin' March. How time friggin' flies, am I right, people? Beware. The odds Happy uh, quarantine anniversary, everybody. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> but, uh, and, and also, um, Christoph Porzingis, he got surgery, him... He he wasn't prepared for the season to end or start. Excuse me. 
four extra weeks. I thought it was going to be Martin Luther King uh, Jr. weekend around that time in late January. It was a month before that, so that's four weeks that players could have had. They didn't. I feel like this team in particular, even though they didn't go late into the bubble, fell particularly victim to that. Um, they are going to figure it out in the regular season, but in the playoffs, unless Porzingis gets fully healthy, three, they yeah, are never going to amount to anything. Good luck with that. Yeah, Jalen Brunson is the second best player on this team right now. That's You took the words out of my mouth. I wasn't going to say that exactly, but a lot of times when you look at this team, it, it turns into... Oh, Jalen Brunson went for 16 and he was the difference in why they actually got a win. Like that's something that's actually happening. I will say this though on the Christoph Porzingis front, because you know, you got to give credit where it's due. You were talking coming around. Christoph Porzingis played nine games in January and nine games in February because he's been banged up battling back from injury, right? He was averaging, <clears throat> excuse me, eight pounds and an assist in January. That's on 45% field goal, 28% from three. In February, also in nine games, he's up to 22 points a game, still at eight rebounds, now up to almost two assists on 50% field goal, 40% from three. True shooting percentage is up nine points. So he's coming around, and that is a direct correlation with the competence of this team because Luka can be Luka. He can average 36 like Bradley Beal. If Jalen Brunson... 15 for it really and it's unfortunate that this is the case for the Mavericks right now it all falls on Porzingis when Hardaway is healthy and playing you know what you're going to get relatively decent Richardson he's been banged up he hasn't been great anyway like it really comes down to Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis need to put they need to put 50 plus points on the board every single night or they literally just cannot hang they cannot hang. It really should be closer to 60. And it's really disappointing when Porzingis is not playing back to the basket. And he's not. Moat, shield, fortress. Mm. Like when he was with the Knicks, anything that came near the rim, he was trying his ass off to get there and just swat the shit out of it. And more often than not, he was successful. And you see the way Mitchell Robinson kind of tries to do the same thing, but he gets consistently in foul trouble. Not this Porzingis year, Porzingis didn't. But, but the, when he was coming as yeah, you know, yeah, his yeah. first couple for years. For sure, for sure. But Porzingis did not have those same growing pains on the defensive end. What the fuck happened? He just decided to give up on that half of the floor? I think he's just, he, he's got health, right? He's got to be tentative. I can't really justify maybe, any other reason maybe that's than, why he's than leaning on the three-point shot because he doesn't want to get too physical you know he, he got hurt attacking and finishing a dunk if you remember when he tore that acl it was against the bucks i remember it i was at alex house back when we both lived on staten island so that was way back when um he dunked, dunked the ball in transition landed weird and there goes his knee he hasn't been defensively the same he hit a point of offensive prowess last year with Dallas. That was better than probably ever. So that was very impressive. Maybe not right before the injury. He might've been a little better, but still his offensive game was still there. But realistically, what is Christoph Porzingis as an offensive player? He is a wing that is seven foot three and a wing who can't like really put the ball on the ground for more than two dribbles. So he's semi-limited and yet he's still 
so incredibly important to a team that we had great expectation for. But yeah, that's it, man. The Mavericks uh, have a lot to figure out. They really do. And when we say that the Grizzlies and Pelicans are on their heels, Pelicans are figuring it out. Do you want to give me give me like one quick thought on the Pelicans right now? Because they're starting to to figure some things out. Anything to say about them? Uh the, my one regret is that there are no fans allowed in the arenas this season so that I can't make fun of New Orleans for not giving a shit about the Pelicans because <laughs> the cost of going to see Zion Williams, Williamson play is the cost of getting a Chipotle burrito, like I used to say about Anthony Davis. I love that. That's a great thing. I haven't thought of in a while. I, how expensive are Knicks tickets? Do you know? Or, or Nets tickets for that matter? Or, Wait, si- or the cheapest tickets? seat? Yeah, like cheapest seats for Nets or uh, Knicks. It's point, usually you know? like right under. They they try to fuck with you, right? It's usually right under a hundred dollars. It says like ninety seven dollars on Vivid Seats, and then you'll go to check out and just be like, okay, there were it was ninety seven dollars and convenience fee of three percent and uh, another <laughs> service fee of five percent, and then I, we hate you fee of ten percent, and you know that's how they get. And it's a hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah. Something like that. $160 a seat. Those motherfuckers. There you go. Um, yeah, the Pelicans are there. They're figuring it out. It's weird. And Stan Van Gundy actually said this in an interview. He was like, we were playing good defense and our offense was trash. Now our offense is really good and our defense is absolutely trash. I think in the last 15 games, Kirk Goldsberry put up one of those things, the efficiency landscape. They were number two in offense over the last 15 games, but 30th in defense which netted them out to be very average, but they're on the way. Yeah. Zon- which was really funny next to, cause they were right next to the nets who were number one in offense, yep. but like 24th in defense. And it's just like, wow, those six spots make all the difference in the world. Literally. Cause I think the nets net ranking was like top five or six. So yep. it really did make the world of difference there. Uh, both of those offenses are stupid, exciting Zion, is just amazing more and more every time you watch him. It, it really is exciting. He's a force of nature because he doesn't seem to be particularly good at any basketball skills. He just seems to be like the big football player who comes to play pickup but just overpowers everyone because he's so quick and explosive. But he's doing that to NBA players, even though he doesn't seem to be terribly skilled yeah. comparatively. But he just is completely out physicaling other grown-ass men. And his his touch doesn't look like it should be good, but it is. Like I, yes. I love when he comes in hot and he goes up, you know, ball is high, so it looks like he's going to dunk, and then he comes off of that jump and then goes to the side with the right or the left pretty much equally fluid uh, or not fluid, but, like, good. I don't, it doesn't really make sense to watch him move and shoot and play because it's a soft touch, but it looks like he'd be only putting up bricks. And it's, it's actually mind-boggling sometimes. They're letting him do more as a passer, and that's exciting. And they're going to be hanging around. Mavericks, watch out, bro. Pelicans and Grizzlies on your heels. You better get it right. Better get it right. All right, though. Subway Sports Talk, this is it for today's episode. John Lucas Duffy and Pete Kennedy on a Classico episode. Just the two of us, like the olden days. And like the new days, we do what we do here on SST. That means last words. Putting you on the spot, John Lucas Duffy, what do you got for us last words on Subway Sports Talk? Last words. Um, for those of you who don't know, I work at the Prudential Center Arena in Newark, New Jersey. Mm. Shout out. Go Devils. We're welcoming fans back tomorrow, nice. which is why we didn't talk about any games that happened on Monday night because we're recording this before that because I my bedtime is extra early tonight because <laughs> i got to be there at 7 a.m. prepping for the fans to come back. So 
Shout out Prudential Center. Shout out fans coming back. Can't wait. Ten percent capacity. It's going to be a lot of work for not that much money, but I'm ready. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, good luck to you guys over there uh, in Jersey. I'm in Jersey too. I don't know why I said over there, but it, it is from yeah, where bro, I what the fuck? where I currently am. It is still over there on the map in think, New Jersey. I think you're closer to the heart of Jersey than I am at this point. I am closer to New York. I am more of a New Yorker than you. How does that feel? Oh, my, my driver's license is still New York. Actually, I was uh, at a Penn State. I was at a Penn. I actually live so close to Pennsylvania now. I was at a Pennsylvania location the other day. Guy checked my license to get alcohol, as people do, and he was so shook that my picture was from when I'm 16. He was like looking at me, and he goes, "Yo, bro, like, I thought maybe this was a fake, but then I looked at you, and you got like a beard, and you just look like a different person. You have to be 21, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm 26." So. Your logic checks out. <laughs> Your logic checks out. Who says Pennsylvania people aren't sharp? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, my last words are going to be twofold. <clears throat> we have special guests coming up later in the week. You know one of them very well, and I say you as in you, John Lucas Duffy. You actually know both of them well, John Lucas Duffy. But you, the listener, should know one of them well. That's Pat Boyle. He'll be accompanied oh, by... Oh, Patty Boyle. Patty Boyle. He, he made a wonderful... Wonderful impact on Subway Sports Talk during football season. I'm going to have him back on with his podcast co-host, Mark Shen Lugan. So the Boyle and Shen Show is going to come on Subway Sports Talk this week. We're going to talk all sorts of stuff. That should be very exciting. Uh, and then I just want to say one thing about um, college basketball. Listen, college basketball fans, I respect you. I don't know how you do it, really. I don't know how many real college basketball fans are really out there. I think people who just don't like the NBA pretend they like college basketball more. It like I struggle to get through most of the college basketball games I watch. Mo, the the spacing is so gross, and some of the talent is so bad compared to what I'm used to watching. Obviously, it's the NBA versus college, you know that. But I just need to say that it's tough until you get to March Madness for me. College basketball is tough. If Cade Cunningham wasn't so damn exciting, I don't even know if I'll tune into another game until March Madness. But, hey, college hoops, March yeah, Madness, yeah, I'm hoping it, it works ruins. out. It ruins you for other basketball. It really does. It really, really does. And then also, uh, Mets hype is real. Yankees still really good. Spring training has commenced. Yankees stink. Fair. Baseball talk coming up soon, though, as well. But that's it. Subway Sports Talk. You know where to find us. You're listening to me say words right now. You know, Apple Podcast app, Spotify, if you're on Apple, Get on there, drop a rating, a review, five stars. We appreciate you very much. And we'll be back with more content as we do. Entering the All-Star break and beyond for basketball. Baseball season is here. NFL draft. NFL draft is going to sneak up on us. So remember, all that coming and more on Subway Sports Talk. This has been a great episode. For John Lucas Duffy, I'm Pete Kennedy. Have a great day, everybody. Cheers.